Hi, I'm Debbie Georgianis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about America's human trafficking epidemic, Jeremy Mayhew of Deliver Fund about tracking the traffickers, asylum, the Supreme Court, and Benghazi Islamic smugglers, not kidding, and finally, justice for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, just maybe. And last, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Sometimes driving home from this show, I think of things I wish I had said. We talked yesterday about the North Carolina victories. Republicans won both of those seats in the special election. One point I meant to make, and I want to just go back to that today before we really hit today's stories, and that is this. I think the Democrat message to America's voters over and over that America is a bad place, filled with bad people, filled with racists, filled with people who don't like each other, people trying to, to be mean to people, I think that is starting to aware, to wear, to is tiresome to the American public. I think many voters in Heartland America and including in places like North Carolina are tired of being told the message of the Democrat Party, which is America is a terrible place. And I think some Democrats are waking up to that, realizing they better think of something else for their theme in 2020. But the real topic for today, and the real topic for today's first five, has to do with human trafficking. You have noticed recently, maybe you have too, in your Facebook feed or wherever you look for news, more and more stories about human trafficking, children kidnapped, sex trafficking of children. And you wonder, is it that we just have more media, so we're seeing these stories, or has it really been happening more and more? And we have a guest joining us in just a moment, and he is from the organization called Deliver Fund, Jeremy Mayhew, and they have a unique mission about to deal with human trafficking, to fight human trafficking. I wanted to share their story with you today. The last little first five thing, just as one example today, I just, in scanning the news for stories of human trafficking and and especially sex trafficking of children, there was a story just this, this week where this show comes from Dallas, Texas. This happened in Fort Worth, which is basically part of Dallas. It had to do with a mom and her eight-year-old girl walking down the street and literally a man stopping his car, jumping out, grabbing this girl. The mom tried to jump in the car, did jump in. The man kicked her out and drove off with her child. Of course, she called 911 immediately. This story had a great outcome, had a great outcome in finding the man who committed this, finding the child safe and unharmed. Well, physically unharmed. Who knows the kind of emotional trauma that child will go through, but at least physically unharmed and alive. But these stories recur more and more, and I want to focus today on why that's happening. What is this epidemic of human trafficking? Why is it happening? So, and that, my friends, is today's first five. So joining me in studio, as I mentioned, I have Jeremy Mayhew. He is with an organization called Deliver Fund. They're 
wisely based here in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, and the briefest of introductions about him. He is a, a former uh, U.S. Special Operations, a former Navy SEAL sniper. After his time in the military, he returned to the Middle East as an operative for the Na a National Level Intelligence Agency, stayed there five more years, came home, and now became part of this organization called Deliver Fund that tries to get after human trafficking. So, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So glad you're here. So I read your whole website today. Mm. We'll start with, tell us why Deliver Fund is unique in what you do in trying to fight human trafficking. What is your uh, niche in the human trafficking world? Absolutely, you start, like you mentioned, you're starting to see it as a buzzword. You're starting to see more articles and more attention come out around human trafficking. But really there's three different ways that you can, you can address this issue. And most organizations actually do something along the victim-centric side, where they're either helping the victims with re rehab, rehabilitation, or they're doing awareness-type campaigns and, and stuff like that. The other side is, is typically what law enforcement has done. So if you remember Chris Hansen and the To Catch a Predator uh, show, yes. right, where they would they'd put out some sort of solicitation and they would get people who would be purchasers that would show up and then they would say, hey, we, we caught you. Well, that's, that's really what law enforcement has been doing. They'd put up a fake ad, they'd get uh, purchasers, so they'd catch the demand side. But and nobody's these are purchasers really- purchasers of people. Absolutely, they're there to purchase uh, typically sex, right? So. The, the third part of that equation is the human trafficker. So the first two, um, one treats the demand, the other one treats symptoms. And, and really, if you wanna go after the storefront, if, as we say here in Texas, if you wanna cut, cut the head off the snake, you gotta go <laughs> after that storefront. You've gotta go after the trafficker. And usually they're one or two degrees of separation from the crime. And so you know, today, the way they're being sold, 80% of this, we would say, is being sold online, on the internet. So through online advertisements. And so we need technology and capability to figure out who's behind that. Okay, so you meant, I think on your website mentions, but I wanna ask you to expand. You, for example, have a Navy SEAL background. You have a background in the military and special operations. Is your organization really focused on people who've done kind of investigative work in some way with the military? Is that? Uh, Definitely on the intelligence side, we hire people from the special operations community who have also an intelligence background um, because they understand the methodology. So it's not so much different than hunting terrorists, right? For example, one of our uh, senior analysts, she's, I call her the huntress. She actually, or <laughs> okay. AKA pimp slayer, she actually was um, previously with uh, the Air Force as a uh, analyst and intelligence analyst for them. Then she worked for the NSA, and then she worked for the FBI uh, doing essentially terrorist watch listing, right? So she was trying to find bad guys before something went boom. And so now she works for us because she's got a couple of kids at home and she's, uh, she's transitioned her job, but now that's what she does. She hunts down bad guys in a different capacity. So you're thinking of these uh, human traffickers, sex traffickers, in the same way we do hunting down terrorists. You're mm -hmm. focusing on the network itself. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what the network is, but I love the idea of using people trained by our military, learning our techniques, figuring out how something is structured and how you get in and figure out who's involved. And those are the people doing it at De Deliver Fund. Oh, absolutely. And, and better than that is we come from that past of being able to know who in our intelligence communities make certain technologies, right? 
if it's for the FBI or the NSA or the CIA or or for the any any of those government um, federal sides, we know who the vendors are that make those technologies. But we can go to them with this mission and say, hey, we need you to tailor this or tailor that and make it specific for uh, what we're doing as it applies here in the U.S. Because clearly. Uh, we have to abide by you know the the constitution and everything that we do has to be admissible in court and all those things are discoverable and all that's important here what kinds of things are these vendors supplying and what kind of objects or technology are they providing you what well, do you mean i would say one example is uh the story about backpage.com are you familiar with what happened so backpage was actually headquartered right here in dallas yeah and uh backpage was the largest online purveyor of escort ads. But within those escort ads, there was human trafficking. A high percentage of that was human trafficking. And of that, some of those were trafficking of minors. So they were found to be complicit in selling minors for sex, as well as laundering money, et cetera, et cetera. So within their website, they had 12 other websites like evilempire.com, sincity.com, things that don't sound nefarious at all. But all of that was running together to sell uh, sex. Now, the technology that's needed is to figure out who's behind it. And so we haven't got to a point where it's one click and boom here to catch a uh, trafficker, but like we're working towards that, right? We're, we're, we're getting it closer and closer, but ultimately it's a combination of different platforms. And then we have to be able to get that into the hands of law enforcement, because again, I don't, uh, I'm no longer the person to kick in the door. We need, in the United States, we need law enforcement, um, whether it's local, state, or federal, to be able to make that arrest, uh, get that successful prosecution, and that's where we raise the risk to, to the trafficker. Okay, so you're trying to tag in, tap into finding networks that actually mm -hmm. work in human and, and sex and child trafficking. How big are these networks? This is like yeah. three people in their basement in Montana somewhere, or I mean, how big are these networks and how organized are they? Well, there's there's both, right? Like you have some very organized, very um, high profile things, but you have a lot of what I would call low hanging fruit. And so within that, let's say 80% of that is, is very uh, low hanging fruit. But those guys may be working independently or with just a couple of people, but they are bad guys who talk to other bad guys. So one of the important things about how we attack this is, is to be able to provide law enforcement with a platform that can be collaborated across all jurisdictions. Because you would think this maybe existed, but it didn't. So now it does. Now we have that platform. And now as we equip and we train law enforcement how to use that um, equipment, they, if, let's say you're building a case here in Dallas and let's say you are part of DPS and you're building a case for on a human trafficker, the computer is gonna auto associate, it's gonna know if there's a piece of that information is a tied to a case in Atlanta, right? So now it's across jurisdiction lines, one in terms of federal case across state lines, but also you have all that information and you know the officer that you need to talk to there to have that collaboration. And uh, that didn't exist. So now we can actually start to see almost like a heat map of where these traffickers are selling, where they're moving, and and let law enforcement know who's in their area, when they're there, and we can follow it around the entire U.S. Okay, I'm loving this. Just to get a picture of it, I want to talk about the victims in just a moment, but the trafficker is finding people who will supply him with women and girls, and then, I mean, essentially, it's like slavery. I mean, they think they own these girls. They are you, You're using the terms of selling or buying yeah. a person. So 
clear that's slavery if it's, you sell them by a person. It's 100% modern day slavery. And by definition, human trafficking is by force, fraud, or coercion, right? And they're not, these these girls are not allowed to keep any of the, the profits of their, their, their labor either, so. So these girls are literally somehow snatched, end up in the hands of traffickers, and then traffickers have to be finding the customers or the clientele to pay them. So someone's gotta be setting up shop somewhere with these trafficked, owned yes. girls and women, right? I mean, you, they gotta set yes. up shop and find customers. We'd like to think that it's very simple, but it's, but it's not. And a lot of the victims who we've talked to, we've been able to help, um, they'll tell you that, you know, we have had this business around for a long, long time with, if we called it, you know, prostitution and, and, and pimping, all of that has been around for a long, long time. What we see today is the majority of that has turned into human trafficking. And um, it's, it's become a lot easier for these, these pimp traffickers to sell their product online and control all of that without it having to be on the red light district street corner, right? Where it used to be in the open, now it's happening behind closed doors, it's happening online, and it also allows them to be able to sell younger and younger um, children in that. Um, so, so they're finding their customers online? So sometimes they're finding their customers online. Sometimes they're luring them into that. Sometimes they're they're preying on victims that come from a single family home. Maybe there's already narcotics. There's some emotional hook there. They can start to lure them in. And uh, I think it needs to also be said because a lot of times we think, well, first we think that human trafficking happens in Cambodia or Thailand or somewhere else. But we're talking about American citizens exploiting American citizens, primarily American men and women who are selling to American men, American women and children. And those, 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 especially those women, maybe it's not a minor, but like, let's say somebody thinks they're gonna be a buyer, they're gonna be a purchaser, we call them the John sometimes, but they're, they're a sex purchaser. They may not know that they're purchasing a trafficked victim. It is the job of that traffic victim to make sure that the purchaser does not know that she's trafficked, right? So how would they know? Sometimes they think they might be doing her a favor there. I'm giving her some money, like I'm helping her she out. She needs money and At the end of the day, uh, how would they know? So what is the age range of these victims that you involved in cases you've been involved in? I think across the board, the average age of kids that come into this is about 13 years old. Um, oh the average age of, of what we've seen is probably around, uh, probably around 17, so still minors. Yeah, you had a story in your website involving a girl named Sarah, and that's the name you at least gave your, her on the website. And the reason this story was scary, I wanted to ask you to tell it, is because, or I picture, many picture people think, well, it's probably people, as you say, single parent homes, nobody's around, no one's paying attention, maybe they're kind of lost anyway. But if you would briefly tell the story of Sarah that's on your website, I'd love to have you do that. Is Samantha or Sarah? It well, might I think be. Sarah I think was Sarah. one. So there's a couple. Tell whatever one you want. I want to just, just make it real well, for us. That, I think that the one on the website uh, that I'm thinking of is, is Samantha, which, which is one of the first cases that we had. And Samantha was actually, I, I think this is a representation of, of exactly what happens. She was 12 years old when she was first trafficked. Her mom was a heroin addict. She lived in um, a town in New Mexico. She was from there. Her dad had left, disowned her and her mom. So her mom's an addict. 
at 12 years old, she's sold more or less probably by her mom for drug money, which then over a course of 10 years, the year that Deliver Fund started was the year that we were able to get to her. But prior to that, for 10 years, she had been sold. So now she's 22 years old. And everybody looks at you like a 22 year old prostitute, Right. right? Who's a heroin addict. But the reality is, for 10 years, she was bought and sold. She was sold to 10 different traffickers. She'd been arrested a couple of times. She'd been in and out of a program. She had been assaulted by um, people that were part of that program. So like, she has no trust for anybody. Right. A lot of her mindset is still that she's 13 or 14 years old because she has mentally shut herself down at that point. Uh, it's a very, very fascinating story because we actually have read through a lot of her journals. She actually was, her trafficker was letting her keep some journals. That's amazing. And so yeah. you can see exactly what she was thinking on a day-to-day basis. And you can also see where the heroin kicked in. Um, so she became a heroin addict also. Absolutely, she did. Yeah. And so she was, she was, for those 10 years, she was bought and sold, in her own words, six to 20 times a day. And I think that's it. You're like, talking about customers using her services or using her six to 20 times six, a day. And when you say using her services, let's keep in mind that like she's 22 now, but like for those those years, she was a minor. So, sure. so that is statutory rape, right? So she was raped. Thousands of times. Thousands of times a year. Oh my gosh. Okay, and, and you know, this, I know it's not your specialty within Deliver Fund to deal with the victims and how they move forward. I'm glad other people do that because you can't even imagine ever getting your head on straight after right. that. You can't even imagine. And you right. don't have any sense of normal life, normal right. relations, nor, normal friendships. And oh my gosh. Okay, so when you find information on these trafficking networks, you turn it over to is it more the FBI or is it usually state officials? We try and do a couple things because if it's just us building cases, um, we can only build so many cases. So we do, we advise and we build cases and we pass that intelligence over to all of the above, whether it's local, state or federal. We work with the FBI, Homeland Security, um, all the way down to your local PD. I mean, we like you were talking about Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. We've actually trained uh, Fort Worth PD as well as the Sheriff's um, Department there with, with Tarrant County. And so, matter of fact, we actually came in because they didn't have the budget when the uh, Sheriff Weyburn came in. We actually bought them laptops and all the technology licenses and trained them how to use that. But that's how we can do this at scale is getting that technology and the training, the training for how to use the equipment, but also the methodology on how to do this so they can build their own cases. And as we do that, what we're talking about, as as big as this problem is, and this problem is so big that a few years ago, uh, there was the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children said that within a five year span, trafficking of minors for sex in the United States went up 846%. That's exactly what I was looking for in my papers. What was that percentage right. you said? So, 846%. So 846% increase, at, and what's made that available is technology, right? Yeah. Your smartphone, all of that. So how do, you, how do you fight that? Well, like that's where Deliver Fund comes in. But to do that at scale, we need to be able to get law enforcement trained on the equipment that can do that. And then we tout a very strong just statistic of our own that we say it when properly funded uh, the the impact that deliver fund can have is an 80 percent reduction on human trafficking in the United States within five years okay I do want to talk about your funding in a moment but I have another question I didn't even mention to you ahead of time but I read this story in line about some 
airline flight and there's a stewardess on board and she's mm -hmm. watching this two people sitting next to each other and she just thought something seemed off about the girl like she wanted she's being trafficked and so she went she went to yep. the girls from the other story and she wrote her a note are you in trouble do you need help or something like that and she said to the she went back and said to the girl honey you look like you need to go to the restroom it's right there and so she was able to communicate with this girl and she was right and so by the time they landed they had authorities ready to arrest the guy but the question is do you ever help the average joe q public figure out what should you watch for? What should sure. everyone listening watch for in terms of trying to figure out if someone's being trafficked? Yes, and the short answer is uh, we actually put out a newsletter. We put out some tips in there. We do something called Kevlar for kids so that parents know what kind of apps and what technology to be aware of. And, okay. and we're continually putting out information on that stuff. And it, does, it changes from time to time as well. But I mean, if you see, because it's funny, since we've been reading and um, hearing yeah. more about this, my husband and I have been in various places, and yeah. he, we're both more alert, and he said, oh, that looks kind of odd, and then yeah. you realize, I mean, you're trying to figure out if anything is wrong there. So, sure. if, so You'll first of all, see like some sort of control going on there. A lot of time, these victims are not, they're not allowed to speak to anybody. They're not allowed to look at anybody, so they'll yeah. have to look down on the ground, and they won't be able to speak to anybody. So. And there's, I mean, you can tell by their appearance sometimes too. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are on narcotics. Um, oh, a lot of times so heroin, because we call heroin the leash for a reason. And so, because they know, get addicted and they have to, they'll do anything more. for that next fix for sure. Oh. And so, you know, there's there's some of those indicators that you can you can pick up there. Um, but there's, yeah, that's a that's a longer episode right there. Sure is. Okay, so Deliver Fun, uh, your website is deliverfun.org. Yep. And so you really, you're a 501c3? Yes. So you're counting on donations? We are. You know, if, if it was, if law enforcement had the money to pay for this technology and this training, um, you know, we wouldn't need to do that. But yeah, go ask your local law enforcement, and I guarantee you they'll say that, you know, they're under-budgeted, they're under-resourced, they're under-trained. All of, all of these things is... Uh, you know, we're, we're there to fill that gap and bridge that gap for them. So we do take private donations um, so we can fund scholarships for those officers to come through. And we try and pick the most impactful officers in the most impactful areas and uh, and start there. And and we're also on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and all the other social media, so. You know, I think we were talking a moment ago about who are the, who these victims are, and there was, I'm sure that this Samantha story is true, but this Sarah story that you had included in something you sent, she went, she left her job at a local fast food restaurant, yeah. someone she thought was a friend, a woman her boyfriend had introduced yeah. her to a few weeks earlier. So this story, again, trying to help people see this is yes. not just wayward children with no parents. She thought she was going to go sell expensive purses, and that, you know, and the next thing you know, She's talked, literally lured right out of the fast food, um, I won't say which Parking restaurant, um, but she leaves the window and goes and uh, jumps in this person's car and, and is immediately trafficked. Because she thought the guy she was dating was her boyfriend, but the boyfriend was actually setting the girl up to come. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I hate those kind of stories. <laughs> uh, you want to say never let your girls date. Just don't even let your daughters date. No, that's not really true. Anyway, but on a serious note, this this idea of this is a girl who's got a job. Right. She's not you know wandering the street. She has a job and she got duped into it. So I really think it's important to recognize the innocence of some of these victims. Right. I and mean, they're all innocent. They were wronged by this. But some of these young girls had just they may have been headed off to a relatively normal mm -hmm. life and finished high school and head to college. 
and then their their whole life is is steered off, and so I, I, I it's just a horrible it thing happening. Boys too, you know, and, and we don't really talk about that as much. We have one uh, story that we put out, and, and we call him Noah, uh, but I think this boy was about 15 years old. This happened recently in the last 12 months, and he was on one of these gaming stations. And as you know, like these gaming stations now, they communicate with you know people from wherever. So like he actually was uh, gaming and, and playing a game with talking to somebody from somebody in another state and had built rapport with him yeah. over a period of time, that individual comes and, and says, hey, I'm right up the, I'm two blocks up, come out of your house, come say hi to me. Kid comes up there, jumps in the car, says hi, guy takes his cell phone, tosses it out, and luckily within 24 hours, we were able to track down who that guy was and where he was. Already had that guy, in, the boy in another state, but um, a very cool story. Oh. We were able to help law enforcement uh, recover that that boy um, and figure out who the trafficker was. And he wasn't part, he, like he wasn't an individual. He was part of a bigger ring that was doing that. And so, um, you know, like I have a son, I don't have a daughter yet. I'm trying to have a daughter, but um, you know, like this is important for our boys and girls. And these are, these are our boys and girls. Oh, they are, they're all our boys and girls. So. Folks out there, I really want to tout this organization, Deliver Fund. It's deliverfund.org, and you can donate to help this. In fact, just go read the website. If you go read the website, you'll get inspired, I'm sure. Everyone involved is, is a, it's a unique niche within the broad sure. span of people trying to prevent human trafficking. But if you're actually getting, as you say, getting the traffickers, yeah. then you really putting that, that is kind of interrupting the flow before the child is ever grabbed absolutely and and the, and the other important thing about this is like to be able to prosecute this successfully like you need the data the yes. data is super important because if you're just relying on a heroin addicted prostitute i'm going to tell you the fbi is not oh. even going to take that case because she can't testify she can't remember she can't yeah she's not a reliable witness and so because of the data that we end up having and we, we during our class we've had officers uh, build a case and actually call home to their own jurisdiction and get arrests made like the next day and they are like this is amazing because we have all the information it's like having all your homework already done and because of that the cases that we've been involved with that deliver funds been involved with have had a hundred percent conviction rate i love that a hundred percent conviction rate i'm a lawyer by background that i'll tell you <laughs> that's a rare yeah. thing for any organization to be able to Absolutely. say a hundred percent probably won't be able to top that forever because some prosecutor will screw it up <laughs> however right. That, thus far, yeah, we've had the cases that we've been involved with have had a hundred percent conviction rate, and, and, and the important piece of that is the data, right? Because the data is there that that shows what's been happening. Boy, do you have any idea how long these people go away for once they're they're convicted of trafficking? So federal charges fifteen years, and sometimes they can stack those. Uh, we've had a we've had a, one that I think was turned into mul like multiple lifetime consecutive. Sentence, right? Good, yeah. So, I'm into but, lifetime for all of them, but go ahead. Yeah, and but it, it depends on the it depends on the jurisdiction again. In a yeah. place like New Mexico, um, this will burn you. It's a three to five year sentence for human trafficking. Oh my gosh! I, well, that's got to change. That's why some we, legislator that's why could we make it a federal case. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm telling you, and some people could be successful as candidates and say, "I'm running to change this law. This yeah. is crazy." With three to five years, a guy should never yeah. get out again if you're yeah. willing to do that kind of stuff. The good thing is, uh, it's getting more uh, awareness, and people are starting to realize what's going on. There's more organizations that are pushing that over the line on the legislative side. Um, Montana, where I'm actually from, okay. is uh, 
they're doing a great job. And one of the ways that they did this was they brought the attorney general brought three traffic victims um, in to speak and tell their story to the state legislature. And I believe oh. it was a pretty much uh, unanimous vote at that point. And yeah. now it's a lifetime sentence in Montana Good. if you so. But I'll take it. Jeremy Mayhew, Deliver Fund, deliverfund.org. Thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. This is a great interview. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for being yep. here. Okay, folks, I tell you, go to read Deliver Fund. You will love this website. You will learn so much. You will figure out this is a huge, to use Donald Trump's term, huge problem, and it needs every American involved. So do that. I hope you will. I want to turn to two other stories. Uh, one is there was a Supreme Court ruling yesterday, and this has to do with border security. And I want to mention why I really want to talk about it is this. President Trump has been stymied at every step of the way in his effort to secure our southern border. Every step of the way. His effort to, for example, say that we're going to actually vet potential refugees coming to America from countries that have a very serious problem with Islamic terror. He had to go through numerous iterations of that order and have several judges at the federal level, federal district and circuit court judges, rule he couldn't do that, issue orders, you know, nationwide orders, banning or you know, enjoining his executive order. Finally got that, clear up at the Supreme Court. But the recent case, the case yesterday, had to do with an executive order President Trump put in place related to people seeking asylum. And as we've talked about in this show many times before, asylum is a specific legal term. Asylum does not mean that just because you don't like your home country or you're impoverished in your home country that you should get to come to America. Asylum has had long-standing standards, including that, not just in America, but countries around the world. People seek asylum because in the first country they get to once they have escaped the persecution in the country they are from and from their home country. The idea of asylum is to rescue, to provide refuge for people being persecuted. So President Trump had this order in place essentially saying that people trying to enter America through the southern border and who were seeking asylum would be denied asylum on the, with some exceptions, but denied asylum on the ground that they didn't seek asylum in the first country they came from. They arrived in Mexico, that's the country they have to seek asylum in because the asylum process has been abused. It has been abused by the people who show up at the southern border with a script in their hands, they're literally reading from a script provided for left-wing organizations, trying to just simply explode the southern border, to obliterate the southern border, allow more and more people to come here. We've had problems with asylum because people come, make their asylum request, and during the time between when they make their request and we finally can get a hearing, they disappear into America's interior, never to be seen again. So Trump's order essentially said, you cannot get asylum if you did not seek asylum in the first country where you, uh, after you left your home country. So naturally that falls on Mexico because most of these people at the southern border, uh, at least ones from Central America, are coming up um, from countries in Central America and through Mexico, could have asked in Mexico first. So the Supreme Court said, yes, actually Trump's order was legitimate, that he can make that order as a president. I wanna make clear that this is not creating new law. This is not coming up with a crazy idea that's never been law before. This is affirmation of long-time asylum standards in the world, not just in America, but in the world. And also, the idea that the president has authority to do this 
has been clear in law for decades. That's the second point I want to make about this case. The underlying notion that Trump or any president has an executive, has the right to issue an executive order related to asylum and that the asylum order he put in place had to do with just put into order into an order a longstanding assumption that asylum it must be, it can only be sought in the first country you enter once you leave your home country. Secondly, the Supreme Court had ruled on this relatively recently, ruled on the notion that the idea that the, um, that the president has this authority to issue, issue asylum, issue executive orders related to asylum policy. The president has executive authority to decide basically to deny entry to America for any buddy the president chooses to do that that is where the law stands right now there was a case called um, sale versus haitian centers that went out of their way to say the president's delegated authority under section 212 f and 215 a of the immigration and nationality act override any asylum assumptions at all so the president has statutory authority constitutional authority to issue this order. But the reason the case is before the Supreme Court is because lower courts, the district courts, which are the federal trial court, and the appellate courts in the federal level, the circuit courts, have routinely simply issued orders denying, denying the president's right to issue these executive orders, and they've issued decisions with no basis in law. This is what I, I wanna drive home. There is no basis in law for the orders these district court judges and circuit court judges have made, essentially saying, because they don't like Trump or they don't like his asylum policies, they don't like his immigration policies, they just issue orders striking down his executive orders. And finally, the Supreme Court said, no, actually, President Trump has the right, as do, does any president, under the Constitution and under federal statutory law to make this executive order. So now, at least as of now, the ruling is President Trump's executive order saying that we turn down people seeking asylum in most cases if unless America was the first country they entered after they left their home country. The second point, and almost more important, I want to be sure and share with you today, has to do with someone who was arrested at the Houston Lobby Airport yesterday in Houston, Houston Hobby Airport. So in Houston, in the great state of Texas, in Houston, there was a guy arrested at Houston's George Bush, it wasn't Hobby, it was George Bush International Airport, this guy is a Bangladeshi native, meaning from the country of Bangladesh. He was arrested in Houston's George Bush International Airport. His name is Mylon Maya. He's from Bangladesh. Bangladesh, right now, the country Bangladesh, you know, located between India and Myanmar, is flooded, is festering with former ISIS people, former Al-Qaeda people, Islamic terrorists are, have filled the country of Bangladesh. This guy, Bangladeshi native, had set up camp in Mexico and was part of an international smuggling ring bringing humans from Bangladesh through Mexico and then with false papers and there were other stops along the way from Bangladesh to South American countries up to Mexico and then in Mexico this guy was helping these people smug get smuggled into America. He was arrested for his role for his role in transporting at least 14 Bangladeshis over the US border. I want you to stop and think about what that means. This is a guy helping Bangladeshi natives, 
show up at the Southern Board of America with a fake ID and a fake story, helping these people get into America and Bangladesh is filled with jihadist terrorists. So when the court ruled yesterday that as a matter of fact, President Trump, he gets to actually be president. He's allowed to be president. He's allowed to use presidential authority. He's allowed to put his executive order in place related to asylum. It wasn't just a border security issue. It was a national security issue. And my final story for today, there was a motion filed by the extremely extraordinary attorney, Sidney Powell, on behalf of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. We talked last week about uh, Sidney Powell having filed this motion to compel, and she laid out for the judge all the documents that were withheld by the prosecution, which is by our federal government, by the Department of Justice and the FBI, withheld in their prosecution of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. There's a rule, which we talked about before, the Brady Rule. The Brady Rule, longstanding federal law, basically says if you're the prosecutor, you must turn over all documents to the lawyer for the person you're prosecuting, you must turn over all potentially exculpatory evidence, all evidence to help the person being prosecuted to defend himself. Sidney Powell's pointing out that the attorneys in our own U.S. attorney, our own prosecutors, our federal government, going after Lieutenant General Michael Flynn withheld and she lists, I think it's about 40 items, Brady evidence, evidence they were, they were forced, they were required by law to turn over, but did not. So she's making her case now in front of uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan that, and the, so what is the big news of today is that issue, uh, that list of things was released. And I put on my website, americacanwetalk.org, there's an article by the extremely brilliant Sarah Carter, one of the last remaining true investigative journalists in America. Sarah Carter wrote out, she wrote, she explained what I just said to you. She talked about Sidney Powell's trying to force this judge to look at the evidence that should have been provided to the accused, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, that the prosecution was required by law to turn over but did not. And she, actually Sidney Powell, has not yet made the argument that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn should be allowed to withdraw his guilty plea. That's where a lot of people thought she was headed with this. But instead, she is basically putting on record for Judge, in front of it, Judge um, Emmett Sullivan to say, this is unlikely that this guilty plea would have ever been made had the prosecutors followed the law and turned over the evidence they were required to turn over. She's getting at, I'm going to guess, she wants Sullivan to throw out the whole prosecution, to say, you know what, there's such extreme prosecutorial misconduct in this case, egregious, extreme, prejudicial wrongdoing by the prosecutor in this case that the whole thing should be thrown out. This is where I think she's angling toward. But I want you to, to encourage you to go to our website, americacommittee.org, because she, in this listing of the many things that the court, that she's saying the court needs to rule, that the prosecution should have turned over under the Brady rule, but did not, she lists many specific things. What it helps you understand, it gives you a window into the breadth and scope and depth of tenacity and determination by this federal prosecutor, Mueller and his team, to simply get Michael Flynn. That's what it makes clear, that these people were so 
unwilling to follow the law, so uninterested in truth, which is supposed to be what you seek as a prosecutor. You seek to find truth, not seek to get a conviction. You seek to find truth. But these people were so determined to bring down Michael Flynn because what they were really determined to do was to bring down the President of the United States. This, my friends, when people say this was a coup inside the DOJ and the FBI, and you hear a lot of people, lots of people saying, well, that's, a, that's pretty strong language. When you see what they withheld, their entire intent was obviously to make it impossible for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn to present a legitimate defense. They wanted to get him. They thought by getting him, they might eventually turn him and get him to testify against President Trump and it didn't work, and they're livid that it did not work. Now, Flynn did cooperate with them in some things. The deal they have right now was the prosecutor isn't seeking a jail time in exchange for Flynn doing some cooperation. Flynn's done cooperating. Prosecutor's now hinting, you know, maybe after all, you know, he's not cooperating anymore, so maybe we'll go for jail time. I think Sidney Powell is really kind of putting at the feet of this federal judge saying, are you gonna let are you going to let this Mueller team, this FBI and Department of Justice, simply obliterate the rule of law? Are you going to let them get away with this obvious coup attempt to, to, to deprive this, this accused person, this defendant, of his right to have the evidence he has the right to? Are you going to let that stand or not? And I don't, I don't know what Judge Sullivan will do. I think the next hearing is September 24th. But Judge Sullivan is now seeing the breadth of wrongdoing inside the DOJ um, and, and the FBI, this just visceral determination, we're going to destroy this man. Some of the language and some of the uh, documents she is seeking is pretty colorful, so I will let you read that. But I want to urge it. the other little last legal point before I get to why it matters to you is this. One choice Emmett Sullivan has is to say, you know what, we're throwing out this entire prosecution, we're done. The other one, he had, because I don't think that the FBI and the DOJ, I don't think they want to turn over this evidence. They don't think they should have to. They don't think they should have to. They want to say, hey, we got a, we got a conviction. This is nothing, you know. He, he pled guilty. Everyone knows he's guilty. You don't need to worry about this evidence. But Judge Sullivan actually has as an option to compel the turning over of all of this evidence she is seeking. All, I think it's 40 documents. Judge Sullivan could force a turnover of those documents by the government to, uh, well, to the Flynn team, but to Sidney Powell. And if the judge, if, the, if they won't do that, this judge could hold them in contempt. He could literally march these prosecutors off to jail to say, you can sit there for a while and think about how strongly you feel about protecting what the FBI's wrongdoing. Is it worth your career? Is it worth you sitting in jail? Because folks, this is, at the end of the day, this gets around to the idea, do we have a rule of law or not? This is very, very serious, high stakes stuff. It's not just about one guy, Michael Flynn, who was egregiously wronged. It's about the higher idea. Did we, because of this just, you know, witch hunt was too nice of a word, this coup attempt, this frame up against President Trump inside our own federal government, do we have the backbone, the determination, the willingness to take it all the way 
to holding the wrongdoers accountable. Apparently, by the way, Devin Nunes said on an, in an interview recently that he wants to see the prosecution go to the highest level of the, in his term, mastermind of the Trump-Russia frame-up, the Trump-Russia coup. And I'm going to guess, this is not what Nunes said, my guess he's talking about John Brennan, head of the CIA, who needs to be held accountable for his wrongdoing. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. We're going to turn to our Why It Matters to You. I love doing this, and I'll tell you, I tell you every week and every time we do this, this idea that Why It Matters to You, why we're talking about Why It Matters to You, is because I don't do this show to shoot the breeze about anything casual, inconsequential. What I talk about are, are just meat and potatoes issues from the perspective of preserving and maintaining this precious, extraordinary experiment in human liberty, which is America, and now why it matters to you. So we'll start with the first story we had for today. We had the human trafficking epidemic, an ugly, depraved reality of 2019. Human and sex trafficking is a vast criminal enterprise in America. Human and sex traffickers must be uncovered, prosecuted, locked up, Citizens can help by knowing what to watch for. The moral depravity and human trafficking may have always been part of this world, but its prevalence in America is a stain on our culture and goodness, to say the least. The good news is good people are standing up. Check out deliverfund.org. We have Asylum, SCOTUS, and Benghazi. I'm sorry, not Benghazi. That's the wrong word. Bangladeshi. My mistake on this slide is Bangladeshi Islamic smugglers. The very fact that the Supreme Court had to issue a ruling that the Supreme Court had to say, by the way, clarifying for the lower courts that the president has authority to deny entry to any foreign national, which is longstanding law, is a sign of how radically the left has decimated the rule of law. Second, the U.S. Senate should immediately pass legislation, which is now pending, confirming that lower federal courts have no authority outside their own jurisdiction. This is part of the vast power grab of the American left, the elitists, sitting as judges in district courts and federal courts, issuing rulings that are nationwide. Third, the arrest in the U.S. of this Bangladeshi smugglers, the existence of this international smuggling network, and the Bangladeshi's Islamic jihadist population underscores that this and other border security rulings are vital. These are national security issues. And finally, justice for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Sidney Powell's motion to compel Brady material demanding that the government produce all documents germane to Flynn's defense puts the ball squarely in Judge Sullivan's court. Will he step up and hold government lawyers in contempt and possibly jail them? Stand by next hearing September 24th and Sidney Powell's representation of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn is putting the spotlight on the government's dishonest and unethical behavior, not only as to Flynn, but as to the entire exonerate Hillary frame Trump motivation of the FBI, the DOJ, and really probably the CIA. The rule of law in America is what's on trial in this case. A huge segment of the American people know it. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please, I love hearing from you. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Check out our website, americacanwetalk.org. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, for this show where I always speak up for America. I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Like a crashing wave.
talk truth about America. Can you-